Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe, Lewis Goldberg, and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, Nick and Ann are speaking with Lindsay Hoover and Simeon Schnapper, managing partners of the JLS Fund, an early stage investment fund focused on novel molecule and whole plant drug development and discovery, treatment centers and clinical networks, cultivation, formulation, extraction and processing, and supporting infrastructure. What does that all mean? Well, it means today we're talking psychedelics again here on The Green Rush. You definitely don't want to sit back for this one, so lean forward. Now on to the conversation. So welcome to our cannabis podcast that sometimes fronts as a psychedelics podcast. Simeon and Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. We're really, really excited to uh, to hear what you guys have to say. But before we get started on, on what JLS is, uh, can you give our listeners some background on who you guys are uh, and what got you both interested in the psychedelic space? I uh, would be delighted. Uh, hey, Ann. Hey, Nick. Um, such a pleasure to be on this. Um, I'll start. Um, my journey on the psychedelic path started uh, 30 odd years ago. I had uh, you know, the great fortune to study with Robert Masters and Gene Houston, who wrote the seminal book, Varieties of Psychedelic Experiences, um, kind of, you know, the map to the psyche and, and LSD. So kind of got bit by the bug um, in a sense. Uh, very early. So it's been a, uh, you know, a multi-decade journey of exploring consciousness and seeing all the healing modalities from, you know, the clinic to indigenous tribes to everything in between. Um, but that's where it started for me. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into it a lot more. Uh, with that being said, uh I've also been involved in, you know, business and technology and entrepreneurship. Uh, and my great friend Lindsay, who's um, also on the podcast, I think we met 15 or so years ago. I was living in, in Shanghai at that point. Uh, it was very convenient to explore entrepreneurship around all things bioplastics, manufacturing, uh, consumer packaged goods. Uh, but it was also really convenient to uh, hop on a plane and have lunch in Lhasa uh, in the shadow of the Potala Palace, as I was doing a lot uh, at that time with my nonprofit, which had a mandate to explore mystical cultures and protect them. So we did a lot in the, in the nonprofit sector around community building and community-based organizations with, you know, the bulk um, around uh, consciousness technology that derives out of uh, Tibetan Buddhism um, and Vajrayana, um, et cetera. Um, but yeah, one night in Shanghai with some of my uh, business partners there, um, just back from uh, Samye Monastery, I remember uh, I kind of turned to my right and there was this, you know, petite woman who wasn't Chinese, who was out late and, uh, 
Yeah, that was Lindsay. So uh, finally, after a decade and a half, we've had the opportunity uh, where we kept in touch, but to, to come together uh, and work on a fund, um, which has been both meaningful from its impact, uh, from its vision, but also just, uh, you know, really liking to work together and being able to finally collaborate again after, uh, you know, somewhat of a hiatus at a perfect time in history where between the business, between the psychedelic, between, well, I'll let Lindsay kind of uh, introduce herself. But I always say she's a recovering investment banker and, oh man, I went way too long. So I even forgot what the question was. No, this good. is perfect. <laughs> no, you guys sound like you're the most interesting in, uh, man and woman in the world. So Lindsay, tell us your story. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you the very beginning. I actually had no interest in business. And I studied Russian and Chinese and I became a diplomat with the State Department. And my dad convinced me to get this, what I call the backup MBA, <laughs> you know, just in case I didn't get into the State Department or whatever. And um, I just decided that it was the best job in government, but I wasn't cut out to work in government. And I did end up making my first trip to China, actually, and living in Hong Kong for a year and thinking, wow, I had no idea that business was this creative. Thanks, Dad. Business is super creative. And I came back to the States and against, you know, well, I later realized I would have to become a recovering investment banker. It sounded like a good idea at the time. Uh, and I was banking in Silicon Valley, you know, during the heyday there as things were heating up with um, the dot-com frenzy that made Simeon Rich the first time around. And uh, did a lot of technology banking, but also some in the drug, pharma, you know, diagnostics devices area. I really loved the um, intellectual challenge of it and also just trying to figure out what is a startup worth in those areas in the early you know, days, given the, the regulatory issues and just, you know, lots of uncertainty, right? I enjoyed that a lot. And um, I also, of course, had my own experience with psychedelics, overcoming the trauma of being a kid, an adolescent in Southern California, ex-herbs, you know, with middle-class parents. It was extremely traumatic and psychedelics really, really helped. So I always had that memory of... Um, now I understand, you know, why my parents are making these incredible sacrifices so that I can go to college and get an MBA. Uh, anyway, so um, my, I had a personal experience, but it wasn't quite as rich and, and layered as Simeon's, but it, but it did give me an understanding of, of the potential and that kind of so fast forward. I ended up leaving um, the investment bank to work with a technology accelerator that was focused on med tech companies. And we spun out a few companies. This was in Hawaii. And through that, I came to know some other um, technologists in Hawaii and entrepreneurs who had created a virtual reality software platform. And I became a co-founder of that company, and we have um, recently integrated it with Amazon Lumberyard. And we are focusing on um, behavioral modification uh, for um, using VR, focusing on a lot of the same things that, that, that the psychedelics have the potential to address. So, you know, depression and anxiety and just, just helping people get through their, their lives and, and have, live more healthy lives using enabling VR. And so I came to understand how, you know, how um, all-consuming this global mental health crisis is and the attendant costs. And also just, I already was somewhat aware, but, but, the, but the drugs that are out there 
that are supposedly effective are have very low efficacy, very high side effects. And in some cases, there's just no treatment really at all that works, like for addiction. There's just really nothing there. So Simeon and I, when we came together and started looking at this space, which was actually a little bit earlier than the, the current, um, you know, the current uh, high level of an intense interest, Simeon, because of his history, had a lot of knowledge about how this market was evolving. And we talked about how we could work together. We wanted to work together on something that was fun, interesting, fascinating, exciting, and also had the potential to really impact the world in a positive way. Those were just our criteria, nothing, uh, you know, nothing over the bar, but, um, and this was perfect. We love it. We love the, the novelty and yet it's rooted in ancient history. Um, you know, we're bringing together big business and pharma and all the people that have the resources to take these, this potential to market and treat the people, but also with very committed drug discovery um, veterans that love this area. So it's a very exciting intersection of history and proven you know, proven technology from the jungle and the rainforest and everywhere else, meeting with modern technology and its ability to accelerate not only the development of those therapies, but their, um, you know, their, their reach to a, a large global market that really, really needs it. Right. Yeah. And, and let's keep building off that because you guys have both listened to the Green Rush before. Our audience is very investor heavy. And so let's expand on, you know, what is the JLS fund? What are you guys' goal with the fund? Well, I'll take that one first. I mean, we are we are interested in um, the intersection of, of science and technology and um, the potential for these plant based, you know, some some are synthetic psychoceuticals, but always leading back to some original plant. The, the intersection of those elements to improve mental health and mental well-being. So, you know, you start with mental health and trauma, but hopefully it all also gets to mental optimization and improving everyone's you know, performance and how good they feel going through the day and how much energy and positivity they have. And so what we, we started sort of looking at some of the novel molecules and we said, hey, this is very interesting because the efficacy of these molecules in many cases, or at least their precursors has been proven. So the path to regulatory approval and the breakthrough designations that have been offered through the FDA, recognizing that this is an intractable problem and these drugs have huge potential means that the drug development path should be shorter than it typically is. And investors like that to be shorter and cheaper. Then when you layer into that, you know, software tools and, and, and machine learning and artificial intelligence and in ways that you can um, better target the patient selection for those who are more likely to respond positively to a particular drug. So you're gonna end up with a, a faster clinical trial and a cheaper clinical trial. And you pair that with, oh my gosh, this is we're looking for a novel molecule, which of our 20 that we're looking at is the most likely to work? Let's use machine learning to test it through a bunch of different pathways, accelerate that process, um, accelerate the process of um, getting patients, you know, comfortable and happy on their journey and afterwards, perhaps with, you know, wearables and other technology that inform and educate and enhance a therapy. So technology can be brought to bear now in a way that shortens the pathway, shortens the regulatory timeframe, um, which means the ROIs, the returns will be higher. And we also just think what's really exciting is if Prozac was a $5 billion drug and it worked on 30% or fewer people, imagine the returns in this industry when you're going to actually have effective therapies. Right. And not such long tails on the use of, you know, having a monthly, you know, prescription and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. If you can do it in a shortened amount of, of treatment time, I mean, that's, that's better for the patient ultimately, right? 
Well, yeah, and and also what's not talked about a lot is the side effects. I mean, these enhanced drug development their um, technologies now, what they are doing is kind of breeding the drug in a way to to get rid of a lot of side effects. And these therapies, you know, are in many ways just the efficacy alone is so much appears to be so much off the charts of, of the other drugs that are out there being used for these deficiencies. So even if it's a daily therapy or it's monthly or, it, you know, if it works, patients will be will really benefit. Do you think that that the current environment now, I mean, the, the, there's studies going on that are showing that, you know, uh, depression and anxiety are at all time highs. Um, you know, it does have to do with COVID and the situational, you know, global pandemic, um, you know, who's not a little nervous. Um, do you think that it's kind of softening the ground a little bit and, and becoming more, uh, people are becoming more accepting of the work that you're doing? Um, or do you think that would have happened anyway? I don't know who's the best question, who the, who that's targeted to. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, the answer is yes and yes. Uh, but to go into it a little further, um, you know, we have this, this great tapestry of uh, millennia old indigenous cultures who've used what a lot of the more nascent quote unquote psychedelic hot companies are using at their base. Um, to help with mental health, to help with not only the curing of sickness, but the optimization of wellness. So as people see this mental health epidemic and they realize that so many of the quote unquote drugs don't really have the efficacy and have horrible side effects, um, kind of the zeitgeist is why not? Why aren't we looking at this? So the ground is, I think, softened um, immensely and even more so. I was already softening. Um, you know, I had an experience where, um, you know, a decade ago, I opened the world's first psychedelic art gallery and medical marijuana dispensary in Venice Beach, California. And it became this really cool place of community and dialogue and a lot of a lot of uh, folks who are now on scientific advisory boards of IPO driven companies or, you know, becoming CEOs of, of private companies doing drug development um, would have never thought it would have been like a podcast about discussing psychedelics with <laughs> FDA approval and like mental health and a, an, an epidemic around COVID that's, you know, just causing a significant amount of stress to humanity and in the individual. So um, back to the original question, is it softening? Yeah. And it's softening to the point where it's, it's almost like jelly. And, you know, we always look at it through the lens of, you know, what do people think um, what's needed? And, you know, I've always been into capital markets and when capital markets respond, it's because, you know, something's happening in humanity. Um, so if capital markets are positive about this and there's some wins and I won't go into ethics or this company or that company, I want to avoid that. But like generally um, there's excitement around this and capital markets, you know, shadow and, and monitor what's happening in the zeitgeist of humanity. And 
So the answer is again, uh, yeah. So if the, if the, the bankers button. are stressed, <laughs> it's good for us, right? <laughs> but one other, one other thing that got a little overshadowed maybe by COVID, but I think has softened maybe some senior policymakers and people that would have perhaps been more hesitant is, you know, the addiction crisis. I mean, mm-hmm. really addiction mm-hmm. crisis. Really good really, point. It's been an mm-hmm. alcohol and everything else addiction crisis for a long time, but it's it really is now a crisis that has touched everybody. And um, I think that makes people look for, you know, be more open to, to quote unquote novel, albeit thousands of years old, solutions, right, that they might have been hesitant to consider before. So I'm wondering, do you guys feel like your trailblazers in in this space right now because you know when i a lot of times cannabis and and psychedelics get compared with each other but when you look at the cannabis industry you have different firms like tuatara merida entourage effect capital in the space investing but when we look at psychedelics i really only know of you guys in there so you know what's that like i'll I'll answer in one way i'm sure Simeon will have a much more entertaining answer i i the thing that's trailblazing a little bit about us, and we didn't talk too much about it, but if your audience likes to hear about the investment landscape is, yes, there are other investors, we think, looking at novel molecules and, and drug development. We are adding, overlaying that with bringing tools, technology tools to bear that can greatly you know, streamline that whole process and make it more cost effective, faster, better. And we can invest in those as well. So that, you know, those are capital light, uh, margin heavy, quick development companies, you know, more typical tech stuff from from Silicon Valley, et cetera. And I think in that way, we're not so much trailblazers, perhaps, as we're taking a slightly different, um, more nuanced approach and maybe more targeted approach to this. And I will say something about Simeon where we are trailblazers, because he can't say this about himself, but he knows and is loved by everyone in this world. And he's been in it for decades. And I think he has the trust of of a lot of people that are working in this world and developing these novel therapies. And that's given us an early window into what's happening not only in the US, but around the world, literally. He's a Peace Corps veteran. I talked about the State Department. He was a Peace Corps baby and he's lived all over the the planet. And and I think also our, our real true you know, love of the space and and determination to create real value in it that benefits everyone at the table is not necessarily trailblazing either, but it hopefully, and hopefully it's not even differentiating, but if it is, a little better. Wow. I don't know if I ever that. I'm also a little like, you know, embarrassed whenever I'm complimented at the highest level. Um, I mean, to make a long story short, everyone says, Simeon, would you be our lead investor? Because uh, I, I think he's so smart about all of the molecules in this space and, and how the ecosystem works. And he's also looking out, we, we are all looking out both for the investors and the entrepreneurs, which may be a fine line to walk, but it's also the way that the best companies are created. Yeah. And, you know, just to go into that, I mean, if, if I mean, there's two things I'll, I'll, I'll speak you know, publicly, uh, you know, regardless of what laws I'm breaking uh, and at what, <laughs> what time and what decades and what jurisdictions. But, you know, I've just I've always loved these molecules. Um, you know, I've used them, you know, personally to cure sickness and enhance wellness. And I've seen, you know, very close family members suffer with 
you know, every indication under the sun um, and friends. And then I've seen, you know, miracle is too strong of a word, right? Um, but, you know, folks who are strung out, folks who are confused, folks who are depressed. I mean, again, every indication and, you know, find peace and find healing. And, you know, within, within the context of actually imbibing in some of these molecules or participating with some of the cultures or, or understanding the envelope of, of what the possibility is, um, you just kind of, it, it just becomes like such a no brainer. Like, why aren't we using these? Like why? I mean, especially now, whether it's pandemic or just the deluge of social media and stress and the rat race, like, wait a minute, I could do this, whether it's in a, thera a therapeutic session with, an, with a clinician or whether it's in a forest with an indigenous community or whether it's, you know, with a friend, which is, you know, how the majority of at least, you know, I'm assuming the majority of this audience came into it through, um, you know, going to a concert or being in college or if, if they had tried it, you know, uh, where, where the opening was like, this is fun, you know, let's just have fun, let's party, you know, which is, you know, I don't think we need to go into, you know, the importance of harm reduction and education, but, but that's a big part too. And it's, it's like, you know, to, to have that, it's not wisdom, but experience, um, you know, just makes it a, a joy when a, when a company, you know, certainly an early stage company, um, you know, calls us or capital calls us and being able to, you know, as Lindsay said, you know, match and, and, and help accelerate that. Uh, just between, you know, a very human dynamic of listening and, and understanding what the problem is and seeing if the solution fits. So I totally forgot what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I love this. But what I think is so interesting is, is the depth and historical respect that you have for um, for these molecules and these treatments. Um, and I think you, investors like to hear that kind of perspective because, you know, they, because this is new to that. This is new to them. This is not new to you. This is not new to millions of people and, and hundreds of thousands of years. So I think having that and, and ultimately bringing that historical perspective to bear, um, I would imagine would be a net positive when you're in uh, a room pitching to investors, right? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely adds to it. I mean, and again, that's just a personal thing. You can have the entire thesis that JLS has as a fund and still execute with, with you know, very little association or, you know, personal experience of the inner work. Um, but even if that's the case, I, 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 I would be shocked if anyone else who's doing a fund or is in mental health or, I mean, this is just, it. it's like, it's the foundation of humanity where these brains and these biochemical bodies and there's different societal shifts. Like it just is, it's just such, such a simple, simple proposition in regards to, you know, making the world a better place, helping people who uh, need help. Um, and if you can do that and, you know, for, you know, for the prospective LP or the pension fund or the institutional. Yeah. I mean, we're still in a civilization that is 
at least Western civilization, is led by the money. And if we could, you know, introduce money and an ROI and multiples and all of that, um, and in addition, you know, help humanity and have fun with companies, right? Um, why wouldn't we? Let's talk about some of the companies. Who are you? Talk about your portfolio for a moment and where you've deployed some capital and, and what you guys are excited about. There's a lot of questions in there. Yeah, no, there, there was like uh, three <laughs> three questions which could be dissected into about 18 sub <laughs> the high level one. That's not my problem. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take uh, a guess at a high level uh, question. Um, and again, some of this is even outside of what we're deploying capital into and what we think are the wins is, you know, it still starts with the humanity, right? So we, we always look at the teams first. It doesn't matter what they're doing because we're in ancillary and we're in drug discovery and development and we're playing with AI and ML and we're playing with clinic. Like, so every bucket in the quote unquote psychedelic landscape, we have a, a toe in to some extent, uh, certainly a, a foot in certain ones around drug discovery and development. But, you know, it starts with the team. Um, so, you know, whenever we're meeting a company and, you know, fortunately we have, you know, a bit of a leg up. We started uh, DDing, due diligence in companies uh, well over a year ago. Um, we had, you know, a nice cheat sheet with early decks or the, the IP or the science or, you know, the history of, you know, some of the founders. Um, and it was, you know, well, maybe like two years ago, we started to seriously look at it. And, you know, there were about a dozen companies, you know, um, investable companies, maybe. Yeah, that universe you know, is small, right? Yeah, I mean, there were the nonprofits, which have been amazing, and I've been involved in all of those. There were the research and the science side, which is great, but there weren't a lot of companies. It's impossible now to, to even keep up, um, you know, which really mirrors, I know you guys have done a lot around cannabis, you know, the just the, the, the new entries and how do you decipher who's real and who's not and who's going to be, from the investor perspective, uh, a good bet. Um, so I'll start with that uh, as my answer and then pass the baton over over to Lindsay. But we look at teams first and foremost. And then as far as the buckets and some of the criteria of when and how and why we decide to invest, I'll let Lindsay, uh, Lindsay answer that question. Well, I, I think Simeon answered it's sort of like the real estate question. Team, 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 location, location. I mean, really, that is first, second, and third. And that, you know, it, it, it really does go to the teams and their, their experience in what they're trying to tackle. And, you know, what have they done before? There's a lot of very experienced drug development scientists. Sometimes they call themselves drug hunters. Oh, my God, I love that. I would watch that show. <laughs> I know, I know, right? We love to see um, drug hunters that spent decades at Pfizer or Biogen or, you know, name the company. We love to see um, ML or AI folks that ran, um, you know, the uh, the ML operations or the, the data, big data operations at uh, Genentech, for example, just to name a few things that we've been looking at. So it's the team, it's their qualifications, their experience and their ability to execute and their um, sense that if you are going to work with investors, 
it's not a science project that lasts decades. It's an investment opportunity that has a, uh, a time frame and a, and a strategy, hopefully more than one strategy for, for you know, monetization. So it's that kind of alchemy, if you will, team. And we also have a no asshole rule. So we actually kind of have to kind of like the people and they have to sort of like that us. Role. That's a great yeah. role. Yeah. So it's like life is short and we, um, we won't be working with that many companies in this first $50 million fund because we'll be investing in early stage seed and kind of series A, pre-series A sort of rounds where we find the valuations are attractive and, and we can also really... Um, we have the opportunity, you know, to work with these great teams and work really work with them uh, because we insu- we'll, we'll take as hands-on a, a, of an approach as we need to with great teams you don't necessarily need to, but they still want your advice and counsel and help. And, and so we're sort of hands-on in that regard. Um, and we, we want to work with them going forward in their next rounds. And um, so it'll be a, a nice small group. And the other, the other element we're we're striving for is to, in some of these software ML AI um, opportunities we're looking at, we, we might even be able to kind of have an internal skunk works where there's some great technology tools that maybe multiple drug development companies that are also in the portfolio can leverage. And all those, those, those drug hunters can say, wow, if I had, if I had this kind of a laser gun, man, that's interesting. Yeah. So there's a nice synergy between Wow, there's here's a great little tool set that we've invested in. What do you guys think? And can you use it? Can it help you? And by the way, if you wanted a new tool, what would it look like? And maybe these guys can help. So these are all great opportunities on a standalone basis. But when you put them together, it might be that, you know, one times one equals, you know, fireworks or something along those lines. But um, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to talk exciting. about. Oh, go ahead, Simeon. Uh, no, no, I was just going to say, you know, because of COVID, we haven't had the chance to invite portfolio um, companies to a, a retreat. Um, but, you know, that's something I look forward to. You know, again, just back to that humanity, you get all these companies, you know, let's say uh, a dozen together, you know, the founders all doing stuff that's, you know, uh, complementary um, in different buckets, you know, uh, across this industry, just getting everybody into a room. I'm, well, I don't know. I, uh, I hope we can all meet in a room. Zoom just doesn't do it. Does yeah, it? Yeah, it's not the same. No, I need, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I, I don't, I hate to like keep talking about COVID, but let's talk about raising capital in the time of COVID. You guys, your fund is, you know, targeted around $50 million this is a really unprecedented time. So, you know, how, how has it been raising funds? Can you talk about that process? And this is fund one, right? Well, yeah, I, I guess in a way, ironically, perhaps, you know, the, the, the mental health, the global mental crisis is, is even more visible. You know, the opportunity is, 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 is heightened. People's awareness is heightened that this is a crisis. It's an expensive one. And if you could actually do anything to ameliorate, you know, treatment resistant depression and anxiety and addiction, these are, you know, in fact, prescription drugs for mental conditions alone, it's an $85 billion a year market, just, just that little tiny little sliver. So I think it's, it's hard, obviously, when you can't meet people in person and press, you know, really get that one-on-one connection. But in, in another way, it's the focus on this area is, is very high and the, 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 um, the steps that the FDA has taken 
to accelerate development in this area are unprecedented. And of course, the recent IPO of Compass is also a broader investment community aware that when it, when an, a psychedelic drug company, you know, goes public on Nasdaq, wow, like yep. that's that's something, right? So we're sort of it's unfortunate but fortunate um, that we are where we are. So well, we try to. And Lindsay, I know you didn't see the questions ahead of time, but it, it, it's almost like you did because you just gave me a great transition uh, with the the mention of Compass. So uh, they went public on the NASDAQ, um, Atai Life Sciences, uh, the one of the largest shareholder, I think the largest shareholder, full disclosure, at KCSA client too. Um, they'll be going public on, on you know, next year. Field Trip uh, just went public on the CSE. Um, are, are you guys concerned... Um, about the timing of these companies going public, is it too soon? Um, and then are the the exchanges like the CSE a good place to raise capital? Well, I mean, too soon. If you think about biotech uh, public companies in the U.S. in general on NASDAQ, they are usually public very many years before there's any revenue. So the people that invest in drug development are very attuned to this. And in fact, this time around, it's probably going to be faster. So from that perspective, it's not too soon at all. Is the Canadian market the right place? Well, if the Canadian market is going to give money to companies in this uh, sector at an early stage and enable them to develop faster, that's probably good for everyone. Is there going to be a little froth and a little hype and a little overvaluation for a while? Probably. But the good companies that really have strong business plans and teams will, you know, will plow right through that and, and it will be a, a in the rearview mirror. So we're investing in companies that we believe are very well positioned to benefit from their actual progress and not just a press release or a series of press releases. And so it, it kind of doesn't concern us. You know, we're, we're looking at the long term and, and realizing that this is a genuine huge market opportunity. The science is here, the history of thousands of years of human use and, and benefit from these, from these you know, plant substances is proven. It's just bringing it all together right now. And the time has actually never been better. So we, we think it's a good thing that um, you know, companies are able to raise money. And I've uh, just to add to that, I've certainly been in, in certain, um, certain businesses and in certain times in history where you know, it was a solution looking for a problem. Like you can't say mental health, you know, you still can't say psychedelics out loud. There's still a few people. I mean, you could say it out loud, but who might like, what do, what do you mean psychedelics? But that's changing so rapidly for, for a number of reasons. But if there was ever a time to solve a problem, it's now. So regardless of the exchange, regardless of the company still being private, regardless of, you know, non capital or share price or this exchange or this jurisdiction, you know, the, the heart of the matter is there's a bunch of amazing companies developing solutions for a problem that's so right now. Anyway. Well, part of what's going on right now that we haven't talked about is the decriminalization movement that's also happening across the United States. You know, Ann Arbor recently decriminalized. Um, there's the ballot initiative in Oregon. Uh, I believe it's 109 that's trying to create a legal regulated market for um, uh, psychedelics up there, which, you know, is very different than the pharma, biotech, FDA movement. Can you talk about how decriminalization and how that's moving forward plays into your investing thesis? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, we hosted a uh, event. Our, our other partner, who has a, a great following of uh, readers, um, this was pre-COVID, but we had the founder of the largest decrim initiative and the founder of um, uh, the not the largest now, but was the first neo a neo company to list. And, you know, one has a perspective of FDA, let's medicalize it, that's the fastest way. And the other has a let's decriminalize it, let's go with the three G's, right? Grow, gather, gift. So I just want to say that those are, it doesn't have to be one or the other, those could both work. Um, but to answer your question on decrim, there's nothing we're investing in that is decriminalized, you know, we're, we're kind of following the regulatory path and or ancillary, really cool tech. We have this, one of our favorite companies, this micro cultivation AI increasing yield across, you know, an amazing library of mycelium and spores, et cetera. But on decrim specifically, it's definitely a signal because decriminalization, I um, mean, you mentioned Ann Arbor, um, you know, the first was Denver, uh, shortly, followed, shortly followed by Oakland. And we were in some of those meetings and, and around that. And, you know, first and foremost, and this gets a little personal, it's not necessarily, you know, a function of the fund, but which, oh, actually, I, I know because we're all very close. Like everyone's about cognitive liberty. Like there's no reason these should not be decriminalized, not the social impact, not the people in jail, not the fact that these are just plants, um, but one should never be prevented from being able to participate in their own consciousness exploration. Now, that's not to say that there's not a medical way and there's not a clinical way, um, but that these are criminalized is, um, you know, something we do not support. So a big, a big proponent of all things decrim and there's nuances you know just in the last two weeks some of the the politics of this group and that group and this initiative and this rider that'll always be there but we look at decriminalization it's really good uh thermometer or barometer rather maybe it's a barometer and a thermometer <laughs> of, of you know what the world is thinking because you know, as we go into what, it's a couple of weeks away, uh, one of the most significant elections potentially in history, right? At least in the U.S. Um, when you see a uh, an initiative like a decrim, you know, regardless of how perfect one is to the other, but that the people are saying, yeah, let's do this. Let's support this. Why is this illegal in the first place? Or not illegal, criminalized. There's mm -hmm. that nuance between legal, decrim, and people get that confused mm -hmm. often. But anything decrim for us is always a signal. Um, I don't know if you can quite, you know, we talk with a lot of traders, a lot of quants, a lot of mathematicians. You know, we've definitely been part of conversations that, you know, you had brought up Ann Arbor. They said, you know, look at this metric. And this data point, Ann Arbor passed decrim, and then these stocks went up 14%. I don't know if that's actually 100% accurate, but when something decriminalizes, it's a um, it's a sign, it's a signal. So we look at decrim and um, you know are aware of 
you know, everything that's transpired in the last couple of years and, and every initiative, because they're great signals. It's, you know, not something that's investable, except in regards to some of the ancillary plays we have, where it's like, yeah, if this is decriminalized and someone could grow their own, hmm, interesting. That's a novel model. But uh, it doesn't really factor into our thesis beyond it's a signal of where, you know, where the zeitgeist is at today. Is there an investment that got away? Is there one that, that you guys had hemmed and hawed about and, um, and just didn't pull the trigger and now you're like, God oh. dang it, I wish I was in. Oh, oh. oh. Anne, 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 Anne. I'm sorry. Right it's too There's sensitive. More There's more than one that got away. <laughs> <laughs> we can't name them, but there's more than one. In fact, there was one where we were in the middle of um, trying to get money to them and they said, stop the presses. We have some material developments and uh, they went public. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah, of course. We hope that doesn't happen. It's always going to happen. A few will slip through the cracks. But when that, when you see that happening at this early stage, You're it tells you that <laughs> one, of, well, one of our concerns was gee, how many great companies are there going to be in this space? Um, you know, are we going to be running out of opportunities? And of it's, course, it's the opposite. It's, 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 it's exploding. And so, our, of course, it'll be a problem we'll have ongoing. We'll be crying <laughs> for years. It's definitely a bandwidth thing. Just to follow on, on with Lindsay, I mean, we, we stopped tracking. I mean, we still continually track, but we got to 189 companies. You know, some of them are already public, some are private. You know, there's a lot of excitement on the M&A front and, you know, people coming together. Um, but at 189, um, it was like, oh, my God, this isn't slowing down. There's going to be new innovation and new entrants. And, you know, even in our thesis or uh, um, thinking ahead a little about what will be next quarter, what will be next decade, right? It was it was time to you know realize that this is an industry, and you know the 189 that we do diligence, um, like deep where we got to know the founders and we knew their deck and we saw the first version and their first financials and their IP and their lawyers and you know their kids' names and their divorces <laughs> and their you know their travel plans like all that you know humanity and understanding and supporting a company. Um, you know, led us to believe that the ones that did get away um, was simply a factor of, you know, we didn't have $10 billion and 50 analysts. It's going to happen. And that started to happen at around 130, I think I remember. I'm like, guys, this is going to happen. Look. And we're like, yeah, we know. Well, uh, uh, here's this other company. We need to give them time. We need to focus on that. Or uh, look at this legislation or look what happened in this jurisdiction. So, yeah, things are going to get away. The ones we have deployed to, um, uh, we're very happy about Uh you know, there's an inverse question. Did anyone, did anything not get away that you wish did get away? And that's, oh, interesting. Yep. <laughs> but that's going to happen too. Was. Yeah. And it might not be the tech it's, you know, it's going to be, you know, a founder upset with another guy or a contract <laughs> that wasn't properly vetted or, you know, something in society that no one could have expected. Um, a global pandemic, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It's off the top of my head. <laughs> but I digress. I'm not no, sure if no. I stepped on that question. 
No, I, I think, I think it's great. Um, and I mean, we're, our show is very also interested in the entrepreneurial journey and learning along the way. So I have to assume that, you know, even in the ones that got away, you guys took something away from it that maybe you'll, it'll make you look at a, another company in a different way or ask a different question. Or, I mean, I, I would just have to assume that, that there are learnings regardless, right? Yeah, not only are there learnings, but even the ones who got away, because it's still, I mean, to some extent, a small industry, right? It's like, hey, what are you working on? They're going to do something next year, right? Yeah, not, yeah. Only, not only that, but because some of our portfolio companies can benefit and amplify what some of the ones who quote unquote got away, there's this matchmaking or it's like, hey, mm. listen, we're all this benefit. There's a win, win, win. It's a community. Yeah, right. Exactly. I love that. And there's also just, you know, I think Simeon touched on it, but there's probably going to be a lot of M&A early on in this sector, um, just as, as people try to fill out their IP portfolios or add technology that they think they may be able to benefit from. So they may get away, but we don't lose touch if we really like the team and we like what they're doing. And so I think we're saying the same thing, but um, community. All right, guys, crystal ball time. Um, this industry has evolved so rapidly in the last year, year and a half, but I'm going to put you guys on the spot right now. I'm looking for bold predictions. What does the psychedelic space look like in five years? And Lindsay, I want you to kick us off here. Uh, well, I, I think, I think, I, I think it's going to go the way, uh, I think it's going to go the way of, um, there will be lots of public companies on NASDAQ. Um, there will be um, drugs approved faster than usual. So in five years, the typical timeline is seven. I think there will already be drugs that are either in the market or being, you know, close to market, maybe even some of them in the market for, for a while. Um, one of the interesting things we're already seeing happening is that, and I was at JP Morgan's um, healthcare conference in January um, this year before, right before everything stopped. And what was already happening then is institutional investors venture capital, large family offices, and the big drug development companies themselves were already looking at the mental health market and saying what they call CNS, central nervous system. We need to put the kinds of resources behind CNS drugs and therapies that we put behind oncology and cancer. So you're seeing that shift to that opportunity. And you're also seeing the shift in, in the um, machine learning, AI, Amazon Web Services. If you look what they're doing behind drug development, it's a pretty amazing effort and infrastructure that they're building that's enabling small and larger companies to benefit from these technologies that require massive computing power and storage and all of that. So those trends that are happening uh, are, are drawing some of the people that were applying all of that great technology to oncology, applying that now to the CNS and mental health market. So I think what will be surprising to people is how fast it's going to go and how acquisitive big pharma is going to be and how interested institutional investors are going to be. And I'm looking to see whether, you know, which name that we are not going to name is going to have the first official sort of, you know, traditional crossover fund in this sector. You haven't seen it yet, but the pension funds will invest. It's going to be, it's going to be a huge, huge growth sector. And Sim, you know, Simeon mentioned we were both, uh, you know, around for that internet explosion where people talked about valuations and how crazy it was. And, you know, you were getting paid for eyeballs, but well, I mean, yeah, maybe there was a lot of, uh, you know, uncertainty and froth and all of that, but everyone knew the long-term trend was unstoppable. 
And that's where we are right now. The long-term trend is unstoppable. You know, who's going to win and how it's actually going to play out is what we hope to be a part of. But I don't know if that's for you, but. <laughs> um, I, I could not disagree more. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, of course, all of that. And I think there's going to be two very interesting uh, uh, things that conflate to create a new paradigm. And those two things are, you know, based on some of the drug discovery and development we're seeing today, um, you know, that target indications with, you know, global pandemics, new technology, uh, new governments, there's, you know, there's no end of indications. We're a very creative species to create maladies uh, tenfold. So, so that's going to happen a lot, but there will be the drug development and, and or, you know, quote unquote, the medicine to help combat those. But that's going to be amplified uh, by the use of technology. I'm currently playing with uh, seven devices uh, on average a day, you know, wearable stuff, right? Stuff, you know, a lot of ones you, you know, everybody knows Apollo and Ebb and the Aura Ring and, you know, my various watches and um, I'm, I mean, if, if Elon called and he's like, Hey, and I got this thing called neuro and it's, I put this chip in here, <laughs> probably say yes. So <laughs> Elon, if you're listening, Elon, if you're listening, please, um, in, you know, in five years, it's happening at, at such a rapid pace that the, the, the context of what psychedelics is today from you know, this millennia and this thing that, you know, I started reading, you know, Kurzweil's papers around the same time I, I started to do psychedelics, although he wasn't talking about the singularity then. You know, if you track that trend, you're getting into this optimizing of wellness, which is the second chapter of, you know, how at least I see the psychedelic landscape. So in five years, I think it's going to be, um, there'll still be molecules. But the technology uh, and playing around with a device that right now has reverse engineered um, certain molecules, specifically 5-MeO-DMT and sending non-covalent waves via the electromagnetic spectrum to my body to then trick my brain into taking that molecule and having the same efficacy what? <laughs> so I think in five years that this whole notion of what psychedelics are and that it is plant-based, which we're huge believers in, right? So many of the investments are in the plant and understanding the plant. I mean, this is the, uh, you know, Green Rush, which is based in, in cannabis. I mean, you guys know that we still know very little about this plant called weed. Like every day there's a new cannabinoid, right? So in the same context, we still know very little about fungi, very little about other natural plant-based. You know, every week we get, hey, we were able to extract this molecule from this plant that nobody's even looking at that has efficacy around this indication. So that's going to be coupled with the confluence and the acceleration of all this crazy tech stuff, which might be out of our hands, right? Um already and we don't even know it so in five years i go back and answer everything Lindsay said plus faster drug development and a lot of tech plus simeon simeon's right we're, we're actually we plan to make investments in that wearable space which is another differentiator i think of our fund 
we've been looking at this area for a couple of years through friends of ours at Stanford and, and, and Massachusetts General and other universities and, you know, kind of think tank kind of places around the country and the world. We're pretty excited by what we see. And as Simeon likes to say, you know, the future is we won't need drugs. That might be that might be more than five years off, but it's certainly moving in that direction. And also a possibility, by the way, for some of these wearables to enhance the patient experience, to prepare a patient for an experience, possibly to, you know, enhance a therapy with stimuli, whether it's music or some beautiful lighting or some other kind of touch therapy or vibration or waves, and maybe even a way to enhance, you know, the duration of a therapy. You mentioned, Anne, what if you only had to do something once? Well, some of these wearables may be able to, you know, reinforce the positive effects of a drug over time with some other supply. Mm. So very exciting area of technology that we're actively monitoring and, and planning to invest in. Well, I was going to ask one more question, but now I'm going to ask two more questions because Lindsay, you brought up something interesting. How are you finding the companies and the technologies to invest in? Are they, um, is it a network of, of friends of friends, colleagues of colleagues? Like, what are you, what are you reading? What are you doing? How are you discovering uh, the companies that you want to invest in? Because we talked a lot about how you're getting investors, but how do you find the companies to invest in? Yeah, that's that's kind of goes back to that beginning sentiment of it's been a privilege and an honor to witness old old folks who've been in this space where there was never a profit motive, where there was never invest in my company, you know, yeah. learning scientific <laughs> advisory boards and or, you know, a lot of those guys uh, in, in full honesty and sincerity um, in jail or out of jail in this because it was around these substances. Um, so it's basically been, you know, cause we're not very public. I know, you know, traditionally in, in green rush or podcasts of anything where this is a public domain and I expect someone besides my mom <laughs> might listen to this. So we should say, Hey, here's a my mom's record. listening. My mom's listening too. Okay. <laughs> um, so if your mom has a cool micro day, micro dose play, she should get in touch with us. But seriously, <gasps> folks, I think Mom, are you listening? Um, it's just word of mouth and, and being around people and, and when people meet or because it's still a pretty small industry in a sense. Um, and they're just like, yeah, you can trust these guys. They're nice. And so it's a lot of been in, inbound. We've done zero. Um, this might be our inaugural, like even talking about ourselves. I don't think we've talked about what we're doing because it's like, hey, we were in some of these companies early and People heard about us, and so, so yeah. And one of the things that surprised us was, so I think I mentioned that I was working, and I'm still working with this virtual reality company, um, also really interesting technology. And we became acquainted with some of the, you know, the scientists, neuroscientists um, at Stanford that had been working in that area in research for a long time and they're very involved in the sensors and wearables and all that kind of technology outside of the psychedelics area. And what we found out was, it turns out that the scientists in the central nervous system, you know, traditional kind of drug development and research arenas, they're, they're definitely watching the space, getting involved in this space. So we're starting to network with people that we didn't realize were as far along in their investigation and interest in this space as, as we, as we just weren't aware. 
And we had a couple of folks tell us, you know, including the the uh, the director of uh, trying to trying to remember the name of the position, but someone who oversees all the accepted therapies for mental health and CNS conditions at a major university called called one of our team and said, you know, we're interested. We people are asking us about these therapies. People want to invest, help us figure out this space. So we're actually getting some inquiries about about you know, providing some of the last few years of experience, or in Simeon's case, the last 30 years of experience, to some of the academics and researchers in the field who are, are you know, swimming very quickly in this direction. So we're not really having a problem finding deal flow. It's more like you said, Anne, it's like how many get away. We're, we are seeing a lot of interesting deal flow from places that we didn't expect at this early of a stage in the industry's development. Many thanks to our guests, Lindsay Hoover and Simeon Schnapper, managing partners of JLS Fund. You can learn more about JLS by emailing us, actually, jls at kcsa.com. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, please find us on Twitter at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or over email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We are always looking for your feedback. We love it um, and definitely keep sending us guest ideas. And please don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay, one take. Cannabis! Cannabis!